Now our study has brought us to chapter 11, verses 15 to 17, where the announcement of a foolish or worthless shepherd is made in verses 15 to 17. In this passage, or in this chapter, at the beginning of the chapter, we studied how in verses 1 to 3, that God was predicting the downfall of the temple of Jerusalem, the city, and the people. And they would be brought low and destroyed. And whatever pride they had, it would go away. They would be humbled and humiliated. And the reason for it is in verses 4 to 14. The reason is in verses 4 to 11, they have rejected good shepherds and especially the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ especially in verses 4 to 14. They have rejected him for false and foolish shepherds. And last time we saw in verses 12 to 14 that even Judas Iscariot is predicted to have betrayed Christ, the great and good shepherd, in verses 12 to 14. Now we come to the punishment that is due to the false shepherds and those who follow them. The punishment that is due to the false or foolish shepherds and those who follow them. That's in 15 to 17. Now, generally speaking, the Bible does address this subject, both Old and New Testaments, often portraying the relationship of God to his people as a shepherd with his sheep in the good sense, but also in the bad sense, because the sheep often have those shepherds who don't really care for them. They are shepherds in a sense because they are not um, pilots, they're not seamen, they're not fishermen, they're not in any other occupation. They are in the occupation of the ministry, so the analogy of a shepherd is used of them. However, they're not fulfilling their duties properly. That is generally the case in the Bible. The Bible uses the word shepherd or pastor to describe the leader of the flock or the leader of a local church. But in this case, though we have the general principle, it seems that in this case, since the context is the coming of Christ and the rejection of Christ, and then the punishment that is due to the people for the rejection of Christ, we may propose here, as some commentators do, that verses 15 to 17 specifically have to do with the Roman government and the Roman authority, the Roman Empire, that that is the foolish shepherd that God is raising up and that God will use them to destroy the people, the people under their care, and then God will destroy the Romans. He will raise up the Romans and then the Romans will destroy the people and then God will destroy the Romans. That may be the specific application of this. There are many ways that this has been applied, not only to the Romans, but sometimes it's applied to the Jews and other peoples. But it seems that if we're going to take this chapter as a prediction of the future coming of Christ and his rejection and the consequences or punishments of his rejection, then it would be logically and contextually consistent to take the whole chapter as a reference to those times. And that's how it will be interpreted now. So then, verse 15. 
And the Lord said to me, Take again for yourself the equipment of a foolish shepherd. The prophet Zechariah is asked here or commanded here to take again for himself the equipment of a shepherd, but in this case of a foolish shepherd. Shepherds use common equipment or common tools, common instruments of the trade. They have staffs and they have other objects that they need to use to care for and guide and, and treat the sheep and make sure that they have proper food, proper care, protection, and water. So the prophet is called upon to do this, but to do it as a foolish shepherd would. To do it as a foolish shepherd, not as a wise one, but as a foolish one. It's not explained how, in fact, he is to do it. It says that he should do it, but it doesn't say exactly how that is, except that in verses 16 and 17, he presumably is going to behave as though he doesn't care for the people and that he's going to exploit the people. How that actually happened or happens, he does not explain. But it should not be a surprise to us that the prophet is called on to mimic or to impersonate someone else or something else. That the prophet, the true prophet, the godly prophet, the holy prophet Zechariah, he is called on to mimic or imitate a false prophet or a false shepherd, a false leader of the people, whether in government, a political official, or a religious official. Specifically, we're dealing with political likely, but still, he is to behave in that way. This should not surprise us that God expects the holy and true prophet to carry out or to depict some action so that the people have a visible way of understanding what God is saying or what God is predicting, what God is judging. This is what's happening here. He is supposed to behave like a foolish shepherd so that the people understand how bad it is and how, well, how and in what way God is about to judge them. Let's see a few examples from Isaiah to Ezekiel. The first one is Isaiah chapter 20. Isaiah 20. 20 verses 1 to 6. Isaiah 20 verse 1. In the year that the commander came to Ashdod, when Sargon, the king of Assyria, sent him and he fought against Ashdod and captured it. At that time, the Lord spoke through Isaiah, the son of Amos, saying, Go and loosen the sackcloth from your hips and take your shoes off your feet. And he did so, going naked and barefoot. And the Lord said, Even as my servant Isaiah has gone naked and barefoot three years as a sign and token against Egypt and Cush. So the king of Assyria will lead away the captives of Egypt and the exiles of Cush, young and old, naked and barefoot with buttocks uncovered to the shame of Egypt. Then they shall be dismayed and ashamed because of Cush their hope and Egypt their boast. So the inhabitants of this coastland will say in that day, Behold, such is our hope where we fled for help to be delivered from the king of Assyria, and we 
How shall we escape? Isaiah is preaching against these two nations, Egypt and Cush, and predicting that the king of Assyria will come to take them captive as exiles. And typically, captives or exiles, when they were uprooted from their own homeland and taken to foreign lands, they were forced to go naked and barefoot as they walked miles and miles, hundreds of miles, across rough and dangerous terrain, naked and barefoot. And it says that Isaiah was to depict this by going himself naked and barefoot for three years as a sign and token against Egypt and Cush, verse 3 says. 20, verse 3. Normally, no one should be doing that. Even the holy prophet should not be doing that. But God commanded him to do it because he was showing how miserable these people were and how miserable their punishment would be. How reckless and rebellious they were in their life and therefore their punishment was deserved. Also, turn to the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah 27. Jeremiah 27, verse 1. Jeremiah is also told to enact what is about to happen. Jeremiah 27, verse 1. In the beginning of the reign of Zedekiah, the son of Josiah, king of Judah, this word came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord to me, Make for yourself bonds and yokes, and put them on your neck. And send word to the king of Edom, to the king of Moab, to the king of the sons of Ammon, to the king of Tyre, and to the king of Sidon, by the messengers who come to Jerusalem, to Zedekiah, king of Judah, and command them to go to their masters, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Thus you shall say to your masters, I have made the earth, the men, and the beasts which are on the face of the earth by my great power and by my outstretched arm, and I will give it to the one who is pleasing in my sight. And now I have given all these lands into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant, and I have given him also the wild animals of the field to serve him, and all the nations shall serve him and his son and his grandson until the time of his own land comes. Then many nations and great kings will make him their slave. And it will be that the nation or the kingdom which will not serve him, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, and which will not put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I will punish that nation with the sword, with famine, and with pestilence, declares the Lord, until I have destroyed it by his hand. But as for you, do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your soothsayers, or your sorcerers who speak to you, saying, You shall not serve the king of Babylon, for they prophesy a lie to you in order to remove you far from your land, and I will drive you out, and you will perish. But the nation which will bring its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will let remain on its land, declares the Lord, and they will till it and dwell in it. Jeremiah is commanded to make himself a yoke, a yoke for the yoke of oxen, in order to put the yoke on his neck as a symbol and sign of what the king of Babylon was about to do to all the nations that would not willingly submit to the yoke of Babylon. That this would 
their punishment would come by means of sword, famine, and pestilence if they would not submit themselves. But if they did, then God would let them live in their own land. Then we go to Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 4. Ezekiel chapter 4, who lives also in the days of Jeremiah and predicts the same, that the Babylonians will invade and not only invade Judah, but many nations and conquer them. This is what God says to Ezekiel to illustrate, to demonstrate the impending judgment on them. 4 verse 9. Ezekiel 4, 9 to 17. But as for you, take wheat, barley, beans, lentils, millet, and spelt. Put them in one vessel and make them into bread for yourself. You shall eat it according to the number of the days that you lie on your side, 390 days. And your food, which you eat, shall be 20 shekels a day. By weight, you shall eat it from time to time. And the water you drink will be the sixth part of a hen by measure. You shall drink it from time to time. And you shall eat it as a barley cake, having baked it in their sight over human dung. Then the Lord said, Thus shall the sons of Israel eat their bread unclean among the nations where I shall banish them. But I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I have never been defiled, for from my youth until now I have never eaten what died of itself or was torn by beasts, nor has any unclean meat ever entered my mouth. Then he said to me, See, I shall give you cow's dung in place of human dung, over which you will prepare your bread. Moreover, he said to me, Son of man, behold, I am going to break the staff of bread in Jerusalem, and they will eat bread by weight and with anxiety and drink water by measure and in horror, because bread and water will be scarce, and they will be appalled with one another and waste away in their iniquity. Here he's calling this bread, uh, bread of affliction, bread of affliction, and he's also saying, to him, to Ezekiel the prophet, to make it with this unclean fuel, human dung. And he says, I have never done this, and I don't want to do this. It's hard for me to do this, to ever presume to do this. But God says, okay, I'll let you use cow's dung instead of human dung, which is an improvement, but it's still something that's unpleasant for him. And so he says... Here to do it because this is the way the people will eat bread and drink water in scarcity and in horror because their enemies will always be behind their backs ready to attack them. A symbol of what is or was to come. And one more place, Ezekiel 24. Ezekiel 24, 15. Ezekiel 24, 15 to 24. 24, 15. The word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, behold, I am about to take from you the desire of your eyes with the blow, but you shall not mourn, and you shall not weep, and your tears shall not come. Groan silently, make no mourning for the dead, bind on your turban, put your shoes on your feet and do not cover your mustache and do not eat the bread 
of men. So I spoke to the people in the morning, and in the evening my wife died. And in the morning I did as I was commanded. And the people said to me, Will you not tell us what these things that you are doing mean for us? Then I said to them, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Speak to the house of Israel, thus says the Lord God. Behold, I am about to profane my sanctuary, the pride of your power, the desire of your eyes, and the delight of your soul. And your sons and your daughters, whom you have left behind, will fall by the sword. And you will do as I have done. You will not cover your mustache, and you will not eat the bread of men. And your turbans will be on your heads, and your shoes on your feet. You will not mourn, and you will not weep, but you will rot away in your iniquities, and you will groan to one another. Thus, Ezekiel will be assigned to you. According to all that he has done, you will do. When it comes, then you will know that I am the Lord God. Ezekiel, his wife, suddenly dies. God prepares him for that and tells him not to mourn. You can groan, but you cannot mourn, and you cannot do as usual mourners do. And why? The people want to know. They know that whatever Ezekiel is doing and saying relates to them. So they ask him, what, will, what do these things mean that you are doing? What do they mean to us or for us? And he tells them, this is what's going to happen to you as well. In these ways, God has, in many cases in the Bible, shown by example, especially in the prophets, that what is about to come is demonstrated before their very eyes, before it actually happens. That's what Zechariah is told to do. Like a foolish shepherd, in his case. Yes, even a negative illustration. Isn't Isaiah going naked and barefoot a negative one? Isn't Jeremiah holding a yoke, bearing a yoke on his shoulder? Isn't that negative, like the slaves do, or like animals do, doing the will of their masters, their owners, for the field? Isn't it... Miserable to eat food over cow dung, especially human dung? Isn't it miserable to suddenly have your wife die? Wouldn't that be miserable? Yes. And in those ways, they are enacting that which is unpleasant and that nobody wants to experience. Why? Because of sin. Because of their sins. Verse 16. For behold, I am going to raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for the perishing, seek the scattered, heal the broken, or sustain the one standing, but will devour the flesh of the fat sheep and tear off their hoofs. 16 says, I am going to raise up a shepherd. Who is the I? The I is the Lord, according to verse 15. God is the one raising up the foolish worthless shepherd. Yes, the foolish and worthless shepherd, he has his own will and he does his own dirty deeds, but it is God who raises him up because God is the one who is the ruler over the realm of mankind and bestows it on whomever he wishes. Daniel 4, 17. Remember also in verses 5 and 6, It says in verse 5, 
Those who buy them slay them and go unpunished. Those were their earthly shepherds. But it says in verse 6, For I shall no longer have pity on the inhabitants of the land. Both the wicked shepherds did what they wanted to do, but it was also God who no longer had pity on the inhabitants. So because they would not listen to the true shepherds, the true pastors, the true preachers, the true politicians of the land, the godly ones, then God installs work, uh, wicked ones to work iniquity over them, and their iniquity, their wickedness, will cause misery to the inhabitants of the land because of the in- sins of the inhabitants. Look at 13.2, where it also says God's in control of these. 13.2. And it will come about in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they will no longer be remembered. And I will also remove the prophets and the unclean spirit from the land. In our passage, 11.16, God raises them up, And then in 13.2, God removes them. Look also at chapter 14. This in reference to the nations. 14.1-3. Zechariah 14.1. Behold, a day is coming for the Lord when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured the houses plundered, the women ravished, and half of the city exiled. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. Verse 2, who is gathering all the nations against Jerusalem to create and cause all of these miseries? 14.2, God is. I will gather. God gathers the nations in verse 2. They commit sins in verse 2. And then in verse 3, God fights against those nations he just gathered. Verse 3, Then the Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as when he fights on a day of battle. This is the sovereignty of God. In verse 2, he gathers all the wicked nations. And then in verse 3, he fights against those nations that he gathered. That's what we have in Zechariah eleven sixteen, God raising up those that will wreak destruction on the people. We, we see this as a similar statement made in the book of Isaiah. The book of Isaiah, chapter 44, Verse 22. Isaiah 44, 28. Should be 28. Isaiah 44, 28. It is I who says of Cyrus, he is my shepherd, and he will perform all my desire. And he declares of Jerusalem, she will be built, and of the temple, your foundation will be laid. Cyrus was the king of Persia, a pagan king. He worshipped idols. 
But God raised up Cyrus to destroy the king of Babylon or the Babylonian kingdom. And after he destroyed the Babylonian kingdom, because God raised up Cyrus to do so, then God appoints Cyrus to rebuild Jerusalem and the temple of Jerusalem. Not only to destroy, but also to rebuild. Cyrus, the pagan, God raised him up to do so. And who is he, or what is he called? This political leader, the king. Verse 28, my shepherd, God's shepherd. Because Cyrus, whether he knows it or not, and he doesn't know it, he is doing God's will. God raised him up as a shepherd and in the same way, in Zechariah eleven sixteen, God raises up a shepherd in the land. Now, God raised up this, or will raise up this shepherd, foolish and worthless shepherd. And what will he do? What will God make him do? Verse 16, not care for the perishing. That is, there are some sheep who are more vulnerable because of where they graze. They are easily susceptible to perishing. There are others that are scattered, but this foolish shepherd will not seek the scattered. The scattered may be the young ones. The young ones especially because they don't know the voice of the shepherd as well as the old ones do. They don't know all of the familiar places for grazing and watering as the young ones. Uh, uh, The young ones don't know it as well as the old ones. So it would be more easy for the young ones to wander off and be scattered, especially if they see an animal, a wild animal that might pounce on them. Further, their, their false shepherd does not heal the broken. Sometimes because of where the sheep traverse, They have broken limbs, broken feet, because they might fall into a hole. Something might happen to them. And yet this false shepherd doesn't even care for for those sheep with broken bones to heal the broken bones. In another case, we have the one standing. He doesn't even, the false shepherd doesn't even have concern for the healthy standing sheep. It's easy for a shepherd, if he doesn't care, if he's callous and heartless, it's easier for him to say, okay, well, that was just a young one. It wasn't fat, it wasn't plump, and I didn't want to really take care of it, so I'll let the wolf have that one. But if you have a standing one, a healthy one, standing right there in the middle of the field, easily protected, then wouldn't the shepherd have more interest in protecting that one? But not in this case, because he himself is selfish. He doesn't even want to sustain the one standing, the one that is healthy, the one that's sound, the one that is strong. He doesn't want to even help them to maintain their strength. Further, what will he do? Instead of being a helper and a caring shepherd of the sheep, What will he do? Devour the flesh of the fat sheep and tear off their hoofs. He's only concerned about his insatiable appetite, not understanding 
because he's so blinded by his appetite to eat the fat sheep, to exploit the fat sheep. What's going to happen if I eat all the fat sheep and I don't care, take care of all these other ones? Then I'm not going to have a flock anymore. Eventually, I won't have a flock. I won't have a healthy flock. I won't have enough fat sheep. But he is so consumed with avarice that he is obsessed with eating the fat sheep and he is just like a wild animal that wants to eat every bit and morsel. That is, even to tear off the hoofs, the feet, and chew on the bones and the skin, the little bit of flesh that's left on the paws of the sheep. This is what he does. This is what the false shepherd does. To exploit to that extent, like a voracious lion. That's what he wants to do to his sheep. This is a warning throughout the prophets. A warning throughout the prophets that this ought not happen. That there should be true and righteous sheep. Chapter uh, Jeremiah chapter 23. Jeremiah chapter 23. We'll read verses 1 to 6. 23, 1 to 6. This chapter, the whole chapter is instructive on this subject. But we'll read verses 1 to 6 to give us an, an idea of both false and true shepherds. 23.1 Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people, you have scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I am about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. Then I myself shall gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and shall bring them back to their pasture and they will be fruitful and multiply. I shall also raise up shepherds over them, and they will tend them, and they will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I shall raise up for David a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord our righteousness. The false shepherds, a woe is pronounced against them, similar to Zechariah. A woe or a curse is pronounced against them in verse 1 because they destroy and scatter. They don't tend, they scatter, they drive away, they don't attend to the needs of their flock. But God will punish them, as he says in verse 2. And then in the place of these false shepherds, God will provide the true sheep of his pasture, faithful shepherds, according to verse 4. I shall also raise up shepherds over them, and they will tend them, and they will not be afraid any any longer, nor be terrified, nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. And then the supreme shepherd. The supreme good shepherd is in verses 5 and 6. And who is this but Christ? Verse 5. For David, a righteous branch. The righteous branch of David 
is Christ himself. That's why one of the common analogies of Christ in the New Testament is that he is a shepherd, especially in John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verses 11 to 16. John 10, 11 to 16. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hireling and not a shepherd, who is not the owner of the sheep, beholds the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hireling and is not concerned about the sheep. I am the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. Even as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep which are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they shall hear my voice, and they shall become one flock with one shepherd. The true shepherds do the opposite of the false shepherds. The false ones exploit the true ones provide and even give up their life like Christ. Now 11 and verse 17, Zechariah eleven seventeen. Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. First, there is a curse, a judgment, a punishment, also called here a woe, pronounced against the worthless shepherd who leaves the flock. And why would he leave? Well, we read in John 10, he might leave because he is afraid of the wolf. The wolf comes and starts to prowl and pounce on one of the sheep. He's afraid of the wolf. And instead of protecting, having the courage of a good, strong shepherd to protect the sheep against the wolf, he runs, he flees, doesn't care. So that kind of a shepherd is a worthless shepherd because by definition, the shepherd should be courageous enough to protect the sheep. And if he isn't courageous enough to protect the sheep, why is he there? And in the spiritual sense, this is the case with those who shepherd local churches. If they don't understand their duty to protect the sheep from the world, the flesh, and the devil then why are they there? They are worthless. And this term for worthless in verse 17 is a term that is most often in the Old Testament used for idols, and they are often called vain idols, or simply idols, or nothing, or nothingness. Literally, it would be worthless things or nothing. Uh, or we sometimes we say in English sweet nothings and we use nothing as a noun. So this is the way they are. They are nothings. They are nothings. They are empty, worthless people. That's who the false shepherds are. Uh, Let's see a couple of examples of this. One, we can go to the book of Leviticus. Leviticus 19. This word for idols, normally it is a word for worthless idols. And we have it in Leviticus 19, verse 4. 
Do not turn to idols or make for yourselves molten gods. I am the Lord your God. If we rendered this more literally, it would be rendered, do not turn to nothings or worthlessness in the plural. Worthlessness. Or we might say, do not turn to idols of nothing or idols of worthlessness or worthless idols. That's what we have in Leviticus here. Also, Leviticus 26, verse 1. Leviticus 26, verse 1. You shall not make for yourselves idols, nor shall you set up for yourselves an image or a sacred pillar, nor shall you place a figured stone in your land to bow down to it, for I am the Lord your God. Here, too, we have this term that we have in Zechariah eleven, seventeen. This is the kind of shepherd they are, absolutely vain and empty, worthless, because they leave the flock. They don't seek to protect. Didn't Jesus say that he lays down his life for the sheep? And the same with those who shepherd local churches. Acts chapter 20, verse 28. Acts chapter 20, 28 to 30. Twenty twenty-eight. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock among which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock. Why? Because savage wolves will come. And when the savage wolves come, the sheep of the flock must be protected. And how are they protected? Titus chapter 1. Titus 1, verse 9. Titus 1, verse 9. We'll read 9 to 14. We pick it up in mid-sentence. It's a long sentence. We pick it up in verse 9, Titus 1, 9. Holding fast the faithful word which is in accordance with the teaching, that he may be able both to exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. For there are many rebellious men, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision, who must be silenced because they are upsetting whole families, teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. One of themselves, a prophet of their own, said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. For this cause, reprove them severely that they may be sound in the faith, not paying attention to Jewish myths and commandments of men who turn away from the truth. The the pastor or shepherd is supposed to hold fast the faithful word. Hold fast the faithful word and exhort in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. He has that basic twofold ministry, exhort in sound doctrine and to refute those who contradict. Why? 
Are there a few enemies or are there many enemies? Verse 10 says, there are many, for there are many rebellious men, many of them, many wolves in sheep's clothing. Many of them are there, empty talkers and deceivers. And what should the pastor do? The shepherd do, verse 11, who must be silenced. The pastor or shepherd must silence them because they are upsetting whole families and teaching things they should not teach for the sake of sordid gain. They are in it for the money. And then verse 13, 13 says, For this cause, for this reason, reprove them severely that they may be sound in the faith. Reproof, severe reproof, for the purpose that they may be sound in the faith. We want that to happen, especially those who are confused and listening to them. That's the ministry of a good shepherd, not the worthless. The worthless do the opposite. They don't protect the sheep, they run. But what will God do to all of the worthless ones? Whether political or religious. Verse 17. A sword will be on his arm and on his right eye. His arm will be totally withered and his right eye will be blind or blinded or dimmed. Completely dimmed. God himself will punish the false shepherd that he raises up. The false shepherd is blind and he leads the blind. If a blind man guides a blind man, both of them will fall into a pit. Matthew 15, 14. In this case, after the blind leader leads the blind followers, then God will send a sword against his arm and against his eye. Likely his right arm and his right eye. Right arm, because typically that is a sign of strength. Usually the right arm is the arm of strength. And the right eye, because if one has a shield in front of him, and he has bow and arrow, and he is trying to aim, he has to have his head and body behind the shield, but he has to have his eye able to see a little bit, and typically they'll use the right eye to see. But God says, none of that's going to help you. You won't be able to watch, you won't be able to aim, you won't be able to do anything because your arm will be totally withered and your right eye will be dimmed, completely dimmed. I'm going to get rid of your strength and I'm going to get rid of your acuity, your ability to see accurately and conquer the enemy. You yourself will be prey to your enemy which in in history, literally, the Romans eventually met their end. And this is what happens to every false shepherd in every period of time, whether religious or political. He meets his end because God brings him to his end. God slays all false shepherds. Yes, God does. God raises them up, but he also slays them. 2 Thessalonians 2, 2 Thessalonians 
chapter 2. Eight to twelve. Second Thessalonians two eight. Two verse eight. And then that lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will slay with the breath of his mouth and bring to an end by the appearance of his coming. That is the one whose coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders, and with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish, because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And for this reason, God will send upon them a deluding influence so that they might believe what is false, in order that they all may be judged who did not believe the truth, but took pleasure in wickedness. The lawless one will be destroyed by the Lord when he returns. The lawless one is controlled by Satan. And those who follow the lawless one follow Satan, follow deception, follow wickedness. They don't love the truth. And because of that, God will keep them in their delusion by sending a deluding influence on them so that they might believe what is false. And they are worthy of it because they all may be judged who did not believe the truth but took pleasure in wickedness. The wicked shepherds, the worthless shepherds, deserve what they get, and so do their followers. One day, God will completely annihilate and obliterate all of the strength, all of the skill, all of the understanding of every wicked, every wicked person, whether leader or follower. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says. Amen.